0: Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, criminal intent. April and her boyfriend Walter have grand plans for the future, to buy a patch of land and build their homestead. But they disagree on what to build. April says a small wooden house. Walter longs for yurt living. Can Judge John Hodgman help them solve their housing dispute? Please rise as Judge John
1: Hodgman enters the courtroom. Len is an uptight, rude, and overbearing individual, and this is quite sad. Why anyone would bother purchasing a book penned by him, let alone actually read it, is beyond me. He can't even bother to correct typos in his own practice department report forms, so I'm at a loss to explain how he managed to get something published, other than that he knew someone on the inside who owned the press or helped him out. Not only that, he can't seem to tell the difference between where education ends and practice begins. This book is a very clear example of that. Jesse, Swearman, Please rise and raise
0: your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he himself lives in a vast underground cavern? Well, technically a system of caverns. (laughs) I do. I do. Very well, Judge Hodgman.
1: Oh, word only true, Bailiff Jesse. Hey, did you guys see that thing on the internet from a couple of months ago? The underground home outside of Las Vegas that was being sold? Some 80s millionaire, back when being a millionaire meant being a billionaire, decided to dig out a huge hole in the the desert outside of Las Vegas because he was convinced that the Russians were going to bomb us. And he built a home underground and he built this home underground such that it was a giant underground cavern. And then he built a regular home inside the cavern. And then he painted the walls of the cavern with nature scenes so that he could be inside his underground home and look through the windows at the nature scenes. And he had a fake lawn and a fake barbecue, which I hope he had a hood for, because otherwise you were all going to choke on carbon dioxide. Did you guys see that on the Internet?
2: Sounds like something Walter would like.
1: I, I did not see that. Oh, Walter, you should take a look at it and see if you like it, because it's probably better than living in a yurt. (laughs) But now, Walter and April, you may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in your favor. Can either of you name the piece of culture that I referenced, or in this this case, quoted directly, as I entered the courtroom? No. No, unfortunately. Of course you cannot. How could you know, since this... (laughs) Since what I quoted in its entirety was the one-star review on Amazon (laughs) by Amazon user Calorie Restricted. That's the name of the Amazon (laughs)
0: version.
1: (laughs) And that user was reviewing the book Build a Yurt, the Low-Cost Mongolian Roundhouse by author Len Charney. There were two reviews. One of them five-star, the other one four-star, excuse me, the other one one one-star, and of course this one-star review was clearly written by an office mate of the authors who hated him so badly that he had to trash his book on Amazon and did not at all comment on the book's abilities to describe the practice and necessity of building a yurt. That is what I'm relying on you for, Walter. What can you tell us that Len Charny can't? You guys want to go out into the woods, or I guess not, what state are you in? Are you in a state or commonwealth of the United States?
3: We are in a state.
1: Which state can you say? Uh, Oregon. Oregon, yes. There's a lot of places to get lost out in Oregon, are there not? Yeah. There are indeed. So you guys are going to drop out of civilization. You're buying up some land. Yeah. April, you want to build a, a little house. Walter, you want to build a yurt. April, you don't want a yurt. Walter, you do. Let's start by defining what a yurt is for the curious audience of this Radio Justice podcast. Walter.
3: Uh, so a yurt is essentially just a, a round uh, structure with a uh, canvas around it.
1: Mm-hmm. A tent, yeah, a, a tent, but a little more permanent than a tent. And would you say that it is the traditional, the traditional dwelling of the ancient Mongolian nomadic tribes?
0: Uh, yes. Would you describe it as a low-cost Mongolian roundhouse? Uh, uh, sure. Yeah, low-cost Mongolian roundhouse. I like it. I've done some reading on this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Did you read Len's book?
1: The reason that I paused there was because I don't know how I missed this, but I, I failed to read the five-star review of Len's book, which is by Jay Hopkins, who says, okay, five stars is a bit high. It really is a four-star item, but I'm trying to balance out calorie-restricted (laughs) review. Not sure what's going on there. It sounds like you ditched them at the prom. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the book offers information on the construction of hard and soft yurts and is fairly well covered. I would really like to see this book come back into print. As far as calorie restricted goes, eat a bran muffin or cut back on the coffee. All right. So, Walter, <laughs> you have told me almost nothing about yurts that I did not learn from a one-star review of how to build a yurt. So tell me more about this proposed home. This proposed, first of all, is this to be a home to live in or a getaway, a retreat from your otherwise twee and comfortable existence in Portland, Oregon? A home. A home. You are going to move oh. there forever? We will move there. For the foreseeable future? For the foreseeable future, correct. Uh, right. And you will own no other home? Correct. All right. And you are not married, is that correct? Yes. And what ages are you, if I may ask? And I may. I am 30.
2: I'm uh, April. I'm 25.
1: All right. April? Yeah? I want you to leave Walter immediately. (laughs) I want you to leave this 30-year-old creep before he kidnaps you and puts you in his yurt. You have a lot of living to do. As they say, as Conrad Birdie said, you have a lot of living to do. Five years is a big gap of time between 25 and 30. And you want to live with a guy who wants to build a yurt? I don't know. An uncivilized Oregon? I don't know if it's that
2: big of an age difference. He he acts like a child, so... Oh, ob- clearly he <laughs> does. That is
1: that, that is... that is what we call a red flag of warning. <laughs> Not not a uh i don't know what color flag of excitement would be or happiness or goodness
2: uh, guys or rea- or oh.
1: reassurance
2: guys my age are overrated <laughs> and uh too young at heart i mean men just y- you have said this before <laughs> men uh mature a lot slower than women so yeah
1: yeah so april do you want to go what do you do what do you do now and where do you live currently
2: um well currently i live in portland with walter and right.
1: um, I... What kind of living situation do you guys have? Like a house, an apartment? Uh, a,
2: it's a little bit of both. A, t-
1: a teepee, a, a lean-to? <laughs> what do you got?
2: Uh, oh, man, a teepee would be awesome. Um, nice. But no, we live in a, a combination of like a... We live in a house, but we live in... Wait a minute, wait
1: a minute. Are you one of those Portlanders who who believes that an urban teepee would be awesome, uh, but a rural yurt uh, is terrible?
2: Okay. <laughs> Okay, teepee, awesome, but not in reali- reality, you no, know? I'd,
1: tot- I'd, totally, I'd totally do a teepee, but only, you know, if it were in the middle of downtown, that would be cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, you
1: live in a house. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, so we live in a house um, in the topmost uh, duplex of the house. And uh, so we just live in that, like, apartment kind of.
1: But right. nobody lives right.
2: uh, in the lower half of the house. So it's kind of our house, uh, but we only – really are sectioned yeah. off to one part
1: of it. Look, you're living in one of the most livable cities in the world. Great food. Uh, I, I believe that Portland now has running water and electricity. Ooh, yeah. Whose idea <laughs> is it to leave for the country? Uh, April, I'm asking you this question I want you to answer honestly. Um, whose idea was it? Regardless of how anyone feels about it, whose idea was
2: it's, it? It's really both of our idea. I mean, we...
1: Wrong. Answer, try again. Uh, whose idea was it? It really... <laughs> Yeah, unless you met at a yurt lovers club or something.
2: <laughs> well, ever since I was a little kid, I imagined I would, you know, move out to the middle of nowhere and just kind of enjoy myself in my garden and maybe have a dog and I'm just not really I'm not into clutter, but um it is
1: Was it your was it your idea, April? <laughs>
2: uh, it, it, no, I really think it was both it was both of our idea. I mean, we talk about it a lot. Uh
0: so you say you're not into clutter. You imagine sort of a sleek modernist farmhouse.
2: <laughs> I guess. I, no, I
1: think she. I think. I think that she's picturing kind of like one of those mid-century modern yurts. <laughs> sure. Or if she were, there would be no problem.
2: Uh, but you know, and I, I used to work in a in a rural area, and there was just like vast land, you know, and it was amazing to me how cheap it was, um, compared to Southern California where I grew up, everything was a lot more expensive. There's cars everywhere. I grew up in, in, in a city and I just, I I've always wanted something more clear in, in, in nature, but, um, right. yeah.
1: I'm sorry. I wasn't listening to you cause I was trying to refine my joke from earlier and now I, <laughs> <laughs> and now I can do it. No, Jesse, what she's thinking of is one of those sleek mid-century modern Kwakutal longhouses of the Pacific Northwest. All right. (laughs) Uh, Drop that one in, Mark McConville, or or you may just leave it in as it is and reveal that I'm a monster who doesn't listen to the people while I think of my lines. (laughs) You know, that... That that was a gift to the listeners of this... That was a gift to the listeners
0: of this podcast, as if we had all been invited to a potlatch in their honor.
1: (laughs) Potlatch... So you guys are going to have a potlatch party in the woods, and it's your mutual idea. And do you have a piece of property in mind, Walter? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, but do you have a, a general area that you want to move to? Uh, outside of Portland,
3: I still think if we live within an hour, hour and a half of Portland.
1: Uh huh. So you're not in- going. You're not going to do some some uh some. R- a rural homesteading in pioneer square that would be a possibility. <laughs> no, I I
3: I think they'd kick us out of there pretty quickly.
1: Ugh, monster fascists. I know. All right, but an hour and a half outside of Portland, you get into some into some rugged territory, no? Certainly. And and you have an idea of what kind of land you want to live on? On top of a mountain, in a dell by a river, in a tree? What <laughs> what's what tell me reveal to me how much you know about the rural landscape surrounding Portland, Oregon, before I let you kids go off into the woods and eat each other.
3: (laughs) Um, I was picturing more of a, a, you know, rolling hills.
1: Okay. Do you Uh, know, I understand (laughs) what you're picturing. I understand (laughs) that you both have dreams. Have you looked at a map? (laughs) Uh, Yes. Look, I understand that, Oregon, particularly eastern oregon is and 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 northwestern Idaho, that's a place where people go to drop out to get off the grid yeah. and I respect that decision that it seems to be that you are mutually making. I am not trying to uh, uh to pinpoint your exact location so I can turn you guys over to the NSA. <laughs> can you give me an idea? Of, the, of where you want to live and how you are going to sustain yourselves?
2: Um, uh, I could somewhat answer that. I mean, like I said earlier, I worked right. in a rural area and I really liked, you know, Scappoose and um, Vernonia. There's a lot of places in like northern Oregon that are really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anything more... East of the Cascades is kind of out of out of the question because it's like a desert territory and it's really dry mm-hmm. and we want to live in a place where it's more forest like. So east of the Cascades.
1: Right. Now I am reassured. I am I'm willing to go into the wilderness with you, April. Walter Walter and Walter and his yurt dreams right now are not offering me a lot of reassurance. You say you have experience, April, in living uh, in rural areas,
2: uh, I worked in a rural area and commuted to Portland.
1: What was your work in the rural area?
2: Um I was an AmeriCorps Vista, so I was doing a year of service uh, in a nonprofit organization.
1: She worked as a logger. yeah, were you a <laughs> logger?
2: No, I just helped the low income uh, seniors get home
1: repairs did you did you did you grease? Did you grease Paul Bunyan's flapjack griddle by strapping back bacon to your? feet and then ice skating over it.
2: Ooh, sounds like fun, but no, I didn't do that.
1: It does sound like fun. <laughs> uh, so, but do you have, so I'm sorry, because I was working on that Paul Bunyan riff. Mm-hmm. You, I did, totally missed what it is that you do. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I was an AmeriCorps VISTA um, stationed in a, yeah, non, heard- in a non-profit organization for a year and I was helping low-income seniors get uh, home repairs.
1: Oh, okay. Do you have um, Do you have any practical skills out of this? Some home repair skills, some handy person skills, some house building skills.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, just basic stuff. And my dad was a construction worker, so um, I just kind of have some basic knowledge about that.
1: And what about? uh, It sounds like you want to become. You want to have a have a a garden or even a farm. You want to raise your own. Food?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the reason why we want to get a small house so we can focus on what's outside of the house, you know, with farm animals or gardens and being self-sustainable in general.
1: And you do you guys intend when you move out there to have no other uh, occupation? I mean, aside from contemplation of solitude and... and uh, <laughs> Playing, playing a flute.
2: Well, that's that's by a,
1: by a little stream.
2: That's a difficult question because you know the job market is so weird right now. But Walter has a dream of being a country lawyer. He just finished. He just passed the bar recently, so he's mm-hmm. you know working on
1: Congratulations. that.
2: Congratulations. Yeah, and um, you know I I work in nonprofits, nonprofit management, but it, I wouldn't mind you know staying at home and working as a seamstress. Um, that's kind of what I'm working on right now too.
1: Right. So your goal, your goal, though, is for you, at least to have a, the sole occupation of m- working your land and drawing sustenance from it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. And you're going to burn all your money and throw away all your credit cards. Yeah. And tell everyone and not tell anyone where you're going, not even your Internet judge. No. To what degree do you intend to be cut off from society completely? Will you have electricity? No, it doesn't sound like it.
2: Uh, Oh, no, we totally will have electricity and plumbing. I mean, we both grew up in in the city environment. And uh, I think realistically, I mean, romantically, we would like to live without those things. But I think realistically, I would get sick of it after like five years. So there's a a Um, certain level of comfort I might need.
1: And that's why you're arguing for a house as opposed to a tent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh,
1: (laughs) All right, Walter. (laughs) It. You're you young, the young woman that you have gulled into <laughs> coming off into the into the wild with you into into the wilderness that you describe as um, woods or a hill or rolling <laughs> rolling beautiful rolling hillsides to become a country lawyer in a place that you do not know, uh, seems to be very practical and assured and someone that I I have a lot of confidence can take care of herself. And yet you want her to live in a tent. Now is your time to explain the allure, romantic allure of the yurt, and the practical allure of the yurt. Let's start – well, you start wherever you see fit.
3: Uh, I'm going to start with the practical uh, allure of the yurt. Uh, I think when, oh, we're, wow. moving up, <laughs> when we're moving uh, into the country, cost is going to be an issue, and a yurt is going to be uh, substantially less expensive than building a, a – log house or cabin uh we can still run plumbing and electricity and all these sorts of you know amenities into the yurt uh so i i think it's really just a cost issue a yurt is going to be less expensive to uh build and maintain than a
0: than a log house so you're presupposing that should you not build a yurt You would live in a log cabin, Abraham Lincoln style. (laughs) I guess my concern here is that you may not have looked too much into what building a house is in 2013. (laughs) (laughs) Like you seem to be picturing 19th century home and earlier in the case of the art home building technologies.
3: Uh, I, (laughs) yeah, I am. I am. Uh, That's, uh, I guess the the term April used at one point was a a lumber shed.
2: Yeah, or so we we'll timber. I we'll was get being to,
3: generous with
1: log cabin. We'll get to well. we'll obviously, get
0: to, you're gonna need somewhere to keep your lumber
1: <laughs> when you're out there logging. <laughs> we'll get to April's proposal in a moment. Walter, your argument that it is less expensive to erect a tent than a house <laughs> is very compelling. <laughs> Have you done some have have you done some real investigation as to how much a year round yurt costs?
3: Uh yes, I
1: have. Tell me about it now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, um so uh a yurt of about 325 square feet Mhm. Uh would come out to about
1: uh, $18,000, $18,000. And what is, how much, how much yurt does 18 grand get you?
3: Uh, it gets you a, let's see, I think it was a 20 foot yurt, which is about, uh, 314 square feet.
1: 20 feet in diameter. Correct. All right. 20 feet in diameter. And is there, is this, is this, uh, just the tent alone? Yes. Yes. Is it insulated? Yes, it is. Well, this is what I'm talking about. You understand a tent is a piece of fabric over some sticks. Yeah. $18,000 is expensive for a tent. So what are you paying for, Walter? <laughs> um, you're paying for the... Jeez, and you want to be my country lawyer.
0: <laughs> I, ki- I kind of feel like you're just talking about like buying a decommissioned tent from a party rental company <laughs> that does, you know, rural quinceañeras. <laughs>
3: Uh, if it came with a pinata, I would definitely look into that.
1: Walter, (laughs) how much yurt does 18 grand get you? What do you get for your money? It gets you the structure, the
3: insulation. Uh, it gets you everything you need except for the platform on which to build the lurt.
1: How much is is that? (laughs) $35,000? Uh,
3: I'm estimating, uh, two to $4,000.
1: Okay, including construction costs. And are you constructing this, or is someone else getting it?
0: Uh, he's constructing it, and then he's hiring someone to
1: reconstruct it. In <laughs> all reality,
3: probably April will construct
0: it,
1: <laughs> and the end result will be. And you've gotten you've gotten these this detail from a website, right? You submitted some information here, uh, submitted some evidence, uh, some breakdown of costs from a website. I'm, normally, I would say no buzz marketing, but I feel pretty confident that uh, it's okay to put out the name <laughs> of yurts.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I got to give you them You really cre- dove I, deep on this one, Walter. Credit goes to you. <laughs> I got to yeah, give they- this company credit for getting in there early and getting in there <laughs> before they had to use my e or whatever. <laughs> Yurts123go.com. <laughs> So you're, according to you, all right, 18, 18 grand gets you a yurt of 20 feet in diameter with an additional, and that would include the cost of your of your platforming and in, and so on. What, so describe for me in, in physical detail what your dream yurt looks like to a human who doesn't know what a yurt is.
3: What I picture is a Mongolian roundhouse. <laughs> uh in the woods mm-hmm. uh you know basic basic you know color beige canvas over it it's it's simple it's just a round structure doesn't leave a lot of footprint on the land that's just there in the woods insulated warm why
1: it has is some it windows
3: it's warm because it will be heated and insulated
1: what is heating it Uh, well, there's
3: various options we can do. We could go with electric, electric heat or a wood stove or pellet stove.
1: Okay. And how is that vented? Where, what is that going to look like inside the house? Inside the house, you're working in, walking into a, or excuse me, inside the yurt, walking into a 20 foot diameter room. Correct. Without walls.
3: Uh, I mean, there there are the exterior walls of
1: the yurt, but inside. Uh, Walter, don't play games with me. All right. You know, this is simple stuff. I am asking you to paint a word picture. That could be convincing, but at least is accurate as to what a human who doesn't know what a yurt is will see when they see your home. Are there windows in the yurt? Can you look out through the walls? Yes. Hey. Imagine, imagine that you're
0: a country lawyer trying to convince a country judge that your client should be allowed to kill as many spotted <laughs> owls as is necessary to complete his logging operation.
1: And imagine that that judge is a little baby who doesn't understand anything. Imagine he's the kind of dumbbell
0: who wants to go out into the woods and live in a yurt. <laughs>
1: Paint a picture for that guy. (laughs) Now, listen, here's what I'm listening for here, Walter, okay? Because I'm asking you some very simple, specific questions. And so far, the answers you've given me have been awfully vague. And these questions revolve around, where do you want to live? How are you going to support yourself? What is it going to be like to live in the yurt? How is it going to be warm? Will it be warm year-round? What is the insulation going to be like? Does it have windows? And all of your answers are sort of like, um... It's a yurt, and it's just not, you know, when I ask April questions, she's got specific answers for me, and these are answers that your life may depend on. April, what do you want to build?
2: Well, I just want to build uh, something out of wood, mostly because, you know, it, it's going to be a permanent structure, and we're going to live in it for the rest of our lives. You can also- April,
1: April, oh. it's it's, ama- it's amazing to me how you guys are coming from such completely divergent frames of reference. Right. This guy is talking to me like, I just not want to live in a yurt like I'm supposed to know what a yurt is, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, you're starting from the point of view is like, I'm thinking about building something out of wood, as if that is not the default building material for centuries. <laughs> Well, you know, the argument that Walter has is that it, it's expensive, which
2: is which is true. What is expensive? But there's a reason why it's expensive. It's because it's sturdy and you can add to it. You can customize it. Whereas a year is you get what, what you buy. You just get the circular thing. You can't really add to it. It's hard to customize it. Um, there's no walls inside of it. So, you know, what if we have a bathroom? Like, how are we going to use the toilet without, you know, like, I don't feel comfortable using the toilet in in the middle of a giant room. It just just doesn't make any sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Walter, what if you have a bathroom? What if that contingency comes to pass?
3: Uh, (laughs) uh, If we were to have a bathroom, we could uh, put walls up inside the earth.
1: Okay. Are you going to have a bathroom or not?
3: (laughs) We will have a bathroom.
1: Okay. With what walls ki- around it. What kind of bathroom are you going to have? Is it going to go? You're going to have a septic system? Uh,
3: it would it would kind of depend on the, I guess the area where we build it. What kind of system we we would have? If oh, really? if if could we you give close, me a vaguer answer, uh, <laughs> I probably could. But if if we were uh you know able to be hooked up to a sewage system, I would I would opt for that.
1: April, are you going to be near a sewage system?
2: Um, Preferably only because it costs a a lot of money to get plumbing uh, hooked up to like a city's main plumbing, you know, Uh, but yeah, I can't see myself living without plumbing. It's just not something I can do.
1: No, no, no. I'm not suggesting you live without plumbing, but typically in rural areas, and this is true about Massachusetts, I don't know about where you are going, but you have the option to dig a well.
2: Yeah, that that has pump
1: water out of the ground, and then you would give your waste over to a, a buried septic system.
2: I have um, talked about that actually, but I don't have enough knowledge to really know how successful that is as a method. Um, and and you know, you oh, it's
1: it's successful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, if it is and if it's viable, I'm I'm all for it. But I haven't done any research on on the well system.
1: All right, so it does sound as though both of you are in agreement that you want electricity and plumbing. But it also sounds as though neither of you have really done real world investigation as to what that's going to cost or entail, given the area that you're, that you're looking Whoa. at. Is that correct?
2: Somewhat. I mean, I, I do know that most of the rural areas out here already have plumbing. So it, it would actually <laughs> be difficult to find a piece of property that didn't already have something built on it. I mean, we have, what,
1: what, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we have right. a lot
2: of empty space here, but yeah, um, it's not as empty as like the middle of the United States, you know, it's still a coastal state.
1: Right. But I mean, when you say that the, the, that the homes in the area where you're considering buying have plumbing, do you know if they're hooked up to a city sewer system and city and a city pipe system, or are they self-contained well and septic tank systems? Or do you not know?
2: For the most part, they are. Um, I had a client last year. I had to help get connected to the main city line and, um, I think they even have laws that are enforcing the residents to hook up to the main city line and those residents have to pay that price.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Um, So you've done a a measure of research in this area.
2: Yeah. You you know, and I think we've lived here long enough. We just have basic knowledge, but I think we're we're primarily focusing on the structure itself. Um, The property is, is there's just so many variables, we don't know where to start until we have the money that can go look for the property and then consider those variables.
1: But you're saying that most properties out there already have a structure on them. What is Why not just buy a home? Or if you buy a property with a home on it, what are you going to do, tear it down?
2: Uh, well, yeah, that, that's actually something I think is probably more realistic, too, is to just find something that already has property on it. But, you know, there's always the the risk of getting a piece of property that um, is run down, or maybe there's a meth lab in it. There's just a lot of houses out there (laughs) with asbestos. And you know there is a possibility that we might not be able to live on whatever that building is. And that's kind of where we bring in, well, we can just build our own and it could be small and it'll be cheaper to take care of in the long run.
1: So are you saying that this build your own is a contingency if you are unable to find a home that you want to live in, or do you actively want to build your own? little house or uh, it, your
2: it's a it's a means of saving money um, we want to live cheaply right. so
1: let's talk about that you say so so you are you're proposing the rather revolutionary idea of building with wood <laughs> a small structure that some would describe as a home tell me about your dream home what its practical advantages are and how much it would cost
2: a standard A-frame home made out of whatever cheap wood we can find, you know, is fine by me. I would like to have separate rooms, like, you know, the kitchen and the main room could all be one room, but I would like to have a bedroom and a bathroom. And I would like to have some room for adding more bedrooms uh, for, you know, children, if we decide to have children. And for certain, they're going to want their own bedrooms eventually. So that is what I would like. Um, As far as Costco, I called a man uh, who builds small homes in Oregon. And um, just the cost of lumber alone would cost, uh, for a 1,000-square-foot home, like Um, Mm
1: $10,000. He
2: said he spent on a 400-square-foot home, like nearly $20,000 once before. But I think his standards were really high, and our standards are not so high right now.
1: So so you, you called a home builder? Right? Yeah. Someone who's built homes. Right. Yeah. And the, the comparable, because uh, Walter's talking about a yurt that's about 314 square feet for a 400 square foot home, which is small, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This guy gave you a ballpark of about 20 grand.
2: Yeah, just for lumber.
1: Oh, just for lumber. Yeah. I thought you said a thousand square foot. It was $10,000. Well, that a was a home
2: I just found on the internet. It has nothing to do with that designer who builds homes in Oregon.
1: April is saying that
0: she's willing to settle for lower quality wood, like maybe scratch and dent wood or fell off
1: the back of the truck wood oh, yeah. or just log it herself.
0: Oh, yeah. Sure.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. you want What you want to live in is like the Our Gang clubhouse.
2: Yeah. And and I mean, I think, uh, insulation though is probably key here because that's where we're going to save our money. Do you think so? Yeah. Like how, (laughs) how,
1: how, how, uh, what is the, what, uh, what does the temperature drop down to in this part of Oregon in the wintertime?
2: Uh, thirties, maybe it'll dip into the twenties a little bit when it gets really cold, but I would say the Mm -hmm.
1: coldest is generally in the thirties. And how are you going to heat your home?
2: Um, I would like it to be heated by a, a wood burner, um, just because it, it makes more sense. We can gather wood. We won't have to rely on electricity or gas, which can be really expensive.
1: So, mm-hmm. yeah. So like a, a wood burning stove. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to, and you you're, you're going to gather that wood and you're going to cut it yourself and stack it yourself. Yeah. All right. So w- tell me about how much is your house going to cost your dream home? You're the one who's proposing that this be built. Tell me the cost.
2: Uh, my price limit would be 50,000, 50,000. The one I'm looking at right now is probably like 30,000, 35,000. But if there's anything that goes wrong or we have to buy extra things, I would say 50 is my limit.
1: And what is that buying? The lumber?
2: Uh, everything the excavation, uh, the foundation, the wood, the windows, and the electricity, the, the plumbing. Um, and
1: the construction?
2: No, no. The the labor costs are not considered in that.
1: That's an interesting omission.
2: Well, uh, the thing is, I, I assumed we would build it, or my dad would help us build it.
1: Your dad builds is a con, is in construction, right? Yeah. All right. That's the that is the only reason. Yeah. That I am letting you get away with what you were saying. <laughs> and then, just last question for you, Walter. Uh, your yurt, your eighteen k yurt. That's buying insulation, right? That's buying that is that buying the, the stove itself? No.
3: Uh, no, that does not include the stove itself. It does include the uh, flashing for the stove.
1: Yeah, I love flashing. All right. <laughs> and uh, And I'm looking here at yurts.com, also known as Pacific Yurts Inc, and they got some very pretty, pretty pictures here of the Yurt. Let me ask you this. Does this 18k? Uh, buy you uh, the inst- yurt installation?
3: Uh, no, it is not. Uh, it does not include installation. It seems uh, pretty easy to set up. Oh so between the two of us and All some right, friends, I've heard, ev- I've
1: heard everything I need to hear. I'm going into my. Ch- I'm going. I'm going. I'm going into my underground bunker chamber now, and uh, I'll render my decision in a moment.
0: Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. April, it sounds like you're going to be holding down the homestead while Walter is, you know, arguing in favor of mineral rights holders um, in the in rural Oregon before country judges. Um, in, in what at what point in your life have you um, had the most manual labor as part of your day to day life? And uh, how, how much manual labor was it?
2: Um, that would be right now. And it mostly is, you know, uh, I, I build some, I've built like a table for our house and I do garden work. And then I do a lot of jarring and canning and basic home sust- sustainability things.
0: How, how, what proportion of your time do you, would you estimate you you spend on that? How many hours? Mm, a,
2: day? a good, like four, three to four hours a day. I mean, it's not that much because I, I have to work a lot but on the weekends i could say 8 hours
0: Walter how about
3: you um yeah i've i've had some uh, manual labor jobs uh, growing up you know when i was 18 19 uh you know doing wire installation and that sort of stuff uh currently i also you know take care of the garden and uh i don't really can april's really the canner um but yeah i'd, I'd say you know 1 to 2 hours a day
0: you ready to chop some wood I guess that's what this boils down to. Are you guys ready to chop wood? Yeah. Yeah, I I enjoy it. Not uh, with one of those ornamental Brooklyn, Portland type axes where they paint something on (laughs) it and then upcharge it $250. Like a hardware store axe? Oh, yeah. Hardware store axe, fiberglass handle. Let's chop some wood. How are you feeling about your chances, Walter?
3: Uh, Not very good. Uh, I, I'm a little nervous, so I wasn't able to answer some of the judge's questions as I would hope to have. Uh, but I, th- I think he might see the, uh, you know, the practicality
0: of the yurt. April, how are you feeling about your chances?
2: I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I feel like the judge doesn't really like either of us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you seem to be making some sort of ill-considered life decisions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're more like plans than decisions at this point, but yeah, I see where you're coming from.
0: Like, what's the number one thing you're going to can?
2: Oh, probably beans, it, you know, protein. And uh, it's what we eat. We eat a lot of beans.
0: <laughs> I was going to guess loneliness.
2: <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, maybe some of, of loneliness
0: that. and despair. Well, we'll see what the judge has to say in just a second. We'll be back on the Judge John Hodgman podcast.
1: Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. I have one of these and I got one for my dad and I got one for my mother-in-law and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one
0: Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom.
1: So, you know, normally I listen in as you guys are having your conversation with Bailiff Jesse. But in this case, I didn't because I realized that I my line was really bad as I went into my chambers. I said, I'm going to my underground bunker. and I was like, oh, I really should have done some more tent research before doing this because underground bunker. That is so hack at this point. I could have said bell tent, I could have said I was going into my chum chambers, my fly chambers, my cote chambers, my nomadic tent chambers, my pandal, my tarp tent, my two-peak, my wigwam, or my yurt chambers. All of that would have been better. The thing is, when you make decisions, you can't always go back and fix them. Life is not a podcast. And some decisions lead to correcting a joke after the fact, and some decisions lead to you freezing to death in a tent. Here's the thing. I am cautioning both of you extremely strongly. I like you both. I overheard that part about me not liking you guys. I like you both. I think you're great. And I want you to continue to live. But it is an adjust... You you have worked in a rural area and your dad, April, is a a instructor of homes. So you have some knowledge base to work off of. But have either of you ever lived in the woods meaningfully for a long period of time? No. No. Okay. It's different. And I barely know what it's like um, having um, received uh, from my family a home in Western Massachusetts that my wife and I were completely, even as as job-holding adults, Completely unqualified to take care of, um, because we had grown up essentially as a, a, a overgrown, prolonged adolescents in New York City. This is what cities do to people. You know you you live you live in an apartment, which is just an extension of dorm life. You tend to rent, so you don't really have a lot of sense of responsibility for the physical workings of the place where you were living. Um, And you come to have the opinion that, well, there's no one living downstairs. So it's kind of like, it's all our house. None of it is your house. If that house burns down, you guys go get another house. You don't deal with the consequences of owning a house, even in a city, Never mind out in the country where nature wants to kill you. We went out there, (laughs) we went out there to that house, we didn't know what we were doing. I think within the first year of ownership, I had let the, uh, the, the propane gas, which heated the house, completely run dry because it never occurred to me that I had to pay a bill to get more of it. I thought it came from magic. We couldn't. <laughs> we showed up one night in the middle of the night to go to our country home. And there was no heat, nor was there cooking fuel. And the place smelled like garbage, because that's how the propane gas tank tells you, I need help, I'm almost out of gas. Within the same year, my wife had decided to get rid of, the reason that we had the home was that my mom passed away. And there was a lot of food left over for years after my mom passed away in this house. Old boxes of old canned goods, old boxes of Cheerios. And my wife, who had never encountered a garbage disposal in the previous 10 years of her life, because we lived in New York City, decided the right thing to do, and frankly, for her, the exciting thing to do was to send all of it down the garbage disposal. You know what happens when you put three boxes of Cheerios down a garbage disposal? No. The the Cheerios get stuck, they expand, they become a Cheerio clog. All of the water backs up and you destroy your septic system. (laughs) And this is a home that had existed for years. We just didn't know how things worked. And we learned over time through experience. And we also learned from our neighbor across the street who is a home builder who had built his own home. Because this is a rural part of Massachusetts, okay? We don't, have, we don't have a city plumbing line, right? We don't have garbage collection. Uh, and, and, we, and we don't have city water, And we also didn't have internet for the longest time, and we still don't. We have DSL, if you can call it that. (laughs) (laughs) And our neighbor across the road had built his own house, and it was a revelation to go over there and to see a home that had built correctly, as opposed to our house, which was designed by an engineer who didn't believe he needed an architect, and therefore, like every house that is ever designed by an engineer, looking forward to your letters of engineers, like every house that was designed by an engineer, the bathroom opens directly into the living room so that if you are using the bathroom, you can kick open the door and let everyone see you. Plus, plus it was built on a, on, the, on a shady bog that never got any sunlight. Whereas our neighbor picked land, after building many homes, picked land on top of the hill, had his his house face southward, insulated the living heck out of it, put windows, massive windows, on the southerly side, put almost zero windows on any other face of the house, and put a single wood-burning stove in the living room and has no furnace, and that thing is hot all year long. And we live in Massachusetts. Now, it would never have occurred to me to do that. It, ne- it seems like you have the idea, April, of having a, a wood-burning stove, which is terrific. But, you know, without insulation, all that heat and wood gets thrown away. And I also know that this guy, you know, cuts a lot of wood. The guy also raises chickens. Chickens that my daughter got as chicks but could not be bothered to raise to life and death went over across the street. And they eat the eggs and kill the chickens for us city folk. It's a lot that goes on, a lot of knowledge base that goes on for living in the country in homes that are professionally built and existing or pre-existing. So that's my big word of caution. And I doubt, April, uh, that your dad would say any different. I'm sure yeah, he, he actually some...
2: gave, he gave me this lecture earlier.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he's got a lot of ideas about his 25-year-old daughter moving to the woods with a 30-year-old who wants to live in a tent. <laughs> I think that the adjustment that you are going to make Is going to be Dramatic And also grand Like I think that you At least have an idea of what you're getting into And are excited about it And you already know how to can And that's great I think that you guys should absolutely do this I think it'll be exciting, fun, wonderful But I think that you need to acknowledge, first of all, that you don't know what you're getting into. Never mind about nature and rural community and rural life, but just about building homes. Your dad, I'm sure, is a great home builder. Um, But my advice to you would be to take the 30 $50,000 $50,000 that you seem to feel you can afford to spend and buy a small home. I bet you you can find one in rural Oregon, even one that didn't have a meth lab in it. Get to know the rhythms of life. Get to know what you need to do to have in a home. Get to, get to develop preferences for what kind of heating you want, what kind of insulation is good for you. Whether you can, you know, what areas are serviced by the city, what areas aren't. Look around. Spend a year. Two, just getting into the th- swing of things, developing some, uh, some clients for your country law practice, being mindful that most people who get into trouble on the law don't want to come over and talk to their lawyer in a tent. But that's not the choice that's been given to me. It's not whether or not we build a home or whether we buy a home. The choice has been given to me is whether we build a home or we build a tent. And I think you're going to be surprised when I say, I think you should build that tent. Here's, here's why neither option is very good. <laughs> Both of them are going to leave you guys utterly reeling, right? With uh, um, all of the misconceptions and unplanned force and unforeseen uh, uh, hazards. That you clearly have not thought through because neither of you, neither of you, when outlining your living situation, told me how you were going to heat your home until I asked you. This is, n- this is number one. Number one. Heating <laughs> and insulation is number one. Number one. And if you subscribe up to that Dwell magazine, not to Buzz Market, all you're going to do is see ads for incredibly cool-looking prefab homes. And believe me, about 30 to 90% of them in, are, are in Oregon already. And these are like, like space-age modular homes that are designed to fit together perfectly, be foolproof, and provide you with a lot of sustainable heat, uh, a lot of sustainable lifestyle. Because they retain heat and they're well-designed and they're, they're tight as a tick. Uh, as opposed to you throwing together a house of your own design out of scrap lumber with the, with the bathroom looking directly into the living room. And the closest thing to a prefab home that is on offer here is this yurt company. One of many competing yurt companies, just so no one thinks that I'm, I'm in the bag for yurts.com. And I looked at their website and I looked at some other websites and there's some pretty sweet yurts you can get pretty sweet, pretty sweet yurts. And at 18 grand plus installation and, you know, and, uh, and uh, construction, which I think you should splurge for, rather than just sort of look at it yourselves, yet someone at least who's put one of these things up before to work with you, you will have an adventure, which is commensurate with the adventure that you are undertaking overall. You will have something that you can live in. You will realize how wrong you were. You will, at that point, after a couple of years of living and pooping in a tent, you will realize you will, I hope, have built up enough of a, enough of a client base that you will be able to now construct or find someplace more permanent to live. And you will have some stories to tell. And if you maintain the property, then you'll have a guest yurt for your better place. But for the time being, if money is tight and if adventure is what you're after, at least you know that these yurts are designed to fit together properly. You will know their limitations and I hope you will not freeze to death in them. You can put up walls inside the yurt, according to the website that I, that I looked into, you should. And I highly recommend that until you know better, put a, put a outhouse, a chemical toilet, outside of your yurt. Follow, follow the instructions of your nomadic ancestors and do not put feces where you live. To clarify, this is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank but you. It, but it, <laughs> that's
0: all I want. Tweet,
1: I would much rather you spend thirty thousand dollars on a house you can live in than twenty thousand dollars on a on a fantasy tent. But but if money is the object, I think this is the more um affordable and I think that it is frankly probably the more safeguarded bet than building a home from scratch. Uh, On a very limited budget with with uh, with no experience personally. This is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as
0: Judge John Hodgman exits the court. April, how are you feeling right now?
2: Um, I got mixed emotions. I feel glad that uh, Judge John Hodgman emphasized what a bad idea your is. Um, and I, I feel like maybe we can pursue the plan of looking for a, a prefab home or just a home that already is uh, a structure rather than a tent. So.
0: Walter, it sounds like you've got a good shot at uh, building your dream tent. <laughs> yeah to this woman you've kidnapped how are you feeling <laughs>
3: uh uh pretty good pretty good i'm feeling vindicated i i recognize the limitations of the yurt and take uh the judge's warning seriously uh but i think i am vindicated in that the yurt is a better idea than trying to build a small home ourselves
0: april walter thank you so much for joining us on the judge Sean hodgman podcast yeah
2: thank,
3: thank you. you
0: good luck guys
2: back for another game you know it
3: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
1: Gudge, I like what you've done with your chamber. Thanks, yeah. I put in a, a small makeshift gin distiller in here, and I put a sign outside that says, Welcome to the Swamp. You know, I was just impressed that you built a wall around your toilet. Well, I figured it was about time. Sure, you want to clear the docket? I do. First of all, before you guys, everyone sends me letters. I I clearly made a mistake. You are not going to be able to buy a home for thirty thousand dollars in even in rural Oregon. There are some homes that I saw online for sixty to ninety thousand, under a hundred thousand dollars. And maybe those were used as meth labs. So I guess I'm rethinking the entire... I really do hope that they they buy a home. I think that that's the right call. Um, But I really hope they pick a good yurt. Here's a letter
0: from Jake. I do not agree with your ruling on the English pronunciation of the word bow, which is as you pronounce it, because a proper pronunciation has long been established. The rest of the country is just late in hearing about it. I live in Garden Grove, California, home to nearly 50,000 Vietnamese Americans. There is a pho restaurant on literally every block. No one here, Vietnamese-speaking or English, pronounces pho with a long O. Everyone pronounces the soup with a pho sound. Pho has long been popular in Orange County, uh, so I say that the precedent of pho being correct is already established. This pronunciation is consistent with words like jalapeno, we recognize that in Spanish you pronounce a J with an H sound, but do not say it with a Spanish accent.
1: Kind of do. Jalapeno?
0: Jalapeno. As Jalapeno. The trailer Park Boys say. Is that what they say? <laughs> yeah, they do. It's really great when they say that. Mm. Um, the P.S. If you're ever near Garden Grove, California, I recommend Baloo on the corner of Brookhurst and Westminster.
1: Well, first of all, I was not listening at all because I was rethinking my lines from the actual case. And I'm going to do this. this Unprecedented, Jesse. Unprecedented. I'm reversing my decision. I've really thought this through. I realize now that for the past couple of cases, I've been listening to husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, and I've been reflexively finding on the side of the boyfriend, because so many people are yelling at me all the time, for always finding on the side of the girlfriend or wife. And I think that that happened in this case. I think I had bias going through my notes again. I realized that I had bias because now that I know that you can't buy a home in Oregon for $50,000, even in in rural Oregon, that year, it just seems dumber and dumber. I'm taking it back. I'm reversing my decision. Jesse, don't get them back on the phone. Just send them a missive. They should build a home under the strict guidance and oversight of her dad. Her dad's got to agree to build that home for them. Her dad's got to agree to build that home for them for no more than $50,000, as small as it needs to be, a safe, practical, lovely home for $50,000 that her dad builds as a licensed contractor and oversees every decision and instructs them on how to run that home and how to keep that home and why he built it the way he did. And if he doesn't agree to do it, then she can tell him that I'm going to let her boyfriend build her a yurt. And that ought to get everything done. Oh, I feel much better about that decision. <laughs> <sighs> I, I thought there you was were, something
0: wrong there. I thought you were reversing yourself on faux versus fuck.
1: Oh, no, to the to the faux dude, I say fat. <laughs> beginning, beginning with his very first sentence. Well, it's long been settled in this part of the country that you say "phu." Yeah, that's the point. It's a regionalism. It's long Look, been settled in that particular part of the country that you can wear flip flops to a wedding. And it's long been settled in Vietnam that it's pronounced "phu" or however you pronounce it. I understand that. I never said that "pho" was the correct pronunciation. However, I think, based on my talkabouts here in the in the city of New York, that that's more or less how it's called. And I bet you that's going to change within a couple of years, and I will change with it. I think you're wrong. You don't think it'll change? Or I'm just plain wrong? I think you're just plain wrong. Hmm. I think it'll probably
0: change eventually, but it'll mostly change because you're wrong.
1: It'll you and your fellow New from- Yorkers. Look, it'll- New
0: York's on the cutting edge of most things. You're way behind the curve on pronouncing P-H-O as pho.
1: Yeah, well, that's because we're, I mean, weirdly, we're way behind the curve on Vietnamese food in general. Best Vietnamese food in North America is on the western coast of the United States and Canada.
0: No doubt about that.
1: Yeah. All right, what's the next one? Here's something from Tony.
0: Sure, Tony, go. Go. Judge Hodgman, I noticed that you've referenced Jonathan Richmond on your podcast recently. Yes. I thought you'd be interested to know about this important piece of legislation pending before the 188th General Court of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Yes. It It would name Roadrunner the official rock song of the Commonwealth. I feel that with your support, we can get this bill out of committee and signed into law. And here's a note. As of July, the bill was referred to the Joint Secretary on State Administration and Regulatory Oversight. It has not been scheduled for a hearing, but there has been a competing bill introduced to name Dream On by Aerosmith as the official rock song of the Commonwealth.
1: Oh, oh, my goodness. Massachusettsians, oh, Commonwealthies, my Commonwealthies, do not allow this to happen. Please, everyone, write your state representative. Write everyone you know in power. Write every roast beef house and clam shack and mediocre pizza place in your commonwealth. And let them know, Dream On by Aerosmith, as fine an anthem as that is, must not become the official rock song of my commonwealth. Is nothing Dream On has nothing to do with Massachusetts. Roadrunner has everything to do with Massachusetts. They name check stop and shop in Roadrunner. Do the right thing, people of Massachusetts. And when I get home, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna re, I'm gonna write a letter too. Don't let them slow walk this. Don't let Steven Tyler win another one. This one's for Jonathan Richmond, everybody. Let's make this happen.
0: The bill in question is Bill H three five seven three, sponsored by Representative Martin J Walsh
1: of Boston
0: and Senator Robert L Headland. So, you know, write your representative,
1: Robert L Headland, Assistant minor- Minority Leader, Republican of Weymouth. This isn't Martin about party. J- Martin J Walsh, Representative, a Democrat of Dorchester. This is about believing in something. These guys, it's it's a, they're working across the aisle for you, Martin. I'm writing Martin Walsh a note right now. Here we go, uh, Roadrunner. Dear Representative Representative Walsh, my name is John Hodgman. I am from Brookline, Massachusetts. And I host a podcast with several tens of millions of listeners. We'll say that, right? Okay. Fair. Fair. It's a rough it's estimate, a, but... It's, ass- it's a ballpark. It's a ballpark. Yeah. Uh, and we have heard of your bill to nominate Roadrunner as the official state song of Massachusetts. We would like to help in your efforts Apart. From mailing every roast beef sandwich shop in Massachusetts, how can we offer practical aid to your cause? Sincerely, John Hodgman from television and internet radio. All right. Sent.
0: If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to maximumfundorg JJHO. No dispute too big, too small... We especially love to hear from people who aren't married to each other. That's a, like one of our top – I mean, look, if you're married to each other, don't let that stop you from submitting a case. But I'm just saying if you're out there, you got a dispute with your best friend, a co-worker, your boss, yeah. uh, a local legislator, yeah. um, a local mob boss. If you're, Anyone who would be willing to appear with you on the show. Yeah. Go to MaximumFun.org slash JJ Ho and submit your case. And you know what? If you happen to overhear a dispute between a couple of friends of yours, suggested to them. It's easy. MaximumFun.org slash
1: J-J-H-O. And no and, funny business, okay? If I'm in the middle of a case and I realize that these two people who are claiming to f- be friends are actually spouses, I'm going to shut it right down. Judge Hodgman is still touring the, our great
0: nation. Uh, you can find his tour dates online at johnhodgman.com, and you can discuss our cases in our delightful forum at forum.maximumfun.org. And we encourage, come in there. Tell us why we're wrong. I mean, you'll be wrong if you tell us that we're wrong. But, you know, come in there and speak your
1: piece. And Jesse, I'm not just touring our great country. I'm also touring my great Commonwealth. I'll be at the Wilbur Theater in Boston on Saturday night, November 2nd, late night show, 9.45 p.m. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm coming on after that uh, Colin mockery doing a great show there. If you're seeing that show, stick around. Come see me. If you're not seeing that show, come on out late at night. It's a brand new comedy. November 2nd, you can check out uh, the ticket sales are at johnhodgman.com forward slash tour or uh, I think it's bit.ly slash jh late nights. Check it out.
0: And remember, the Judge John Hodgman podcast is sponsored by Hulu Plus, where you can binge on thousands of hit shows. Get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus at HuluPlus.com slash Judge John. Elizabeth Loring named this week's case. Our thanks to Elizabeth. Like us on Facebook, just search for Judge John Hodgman, or follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jesse Thorne, J-E-S-S-E-T-H-O-R-N, and John is at Hodgman, H O D G M A. N. And, of course, if you've got a chance, please open up your iTunes and review Judge John Hodgman. It makes a big difference. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth Loring.
0: The Judge John Hodgman podcast is a production of MaximumFun.org. Our special thanks to all of the folks who donate to support the show and all of our shows at MaximumFun.org donate. The show is produced by Julia Smith and me, Jesse Thorne, and edited by Mark McConville. You can check out his podcast, Super Ego, in iTunes or online at GoSuperEgo.com. You can find John Hodgman online at AreasOfMyExpertise.com. If you have a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. If you have thoughts about the show, join the conversation on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org and our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Judge John Hodgman. We'll see you online and next time right here on the Judge John Hodgman podcast.
1: Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture.
2: Artist owned.
1: Listener supported.